Hello and welcome to another episode of Snow Pros Podcast. I'm Ben Roberts, and today Christian Looney and I speak with Riley McGlashan. Riley is the co-founder of the Hokkaido Collective Snow Sports School in Japan. He's co-founder and business partner in Projected Productions, a producer of high-end alpine ski instructional films. He was a member of the 2011 and 2015 APSI Australian Interski teams. He's highly certified in both the Australian and the American ski instructional systems. Riley's worked around the world, including time here in the U.S., in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, China, and of course, Japan. We're really excited to speak with Riley today. Here he is. Well, Riley, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'm looking forward to having this conversation and have been for a while. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Where, um, where are you joining us from right now? I'm over here in Cortina in Italy. So, it's nice fall colors. Pretty, it's been, has been pretty good weather over the last week or so so it's been nice and you had uh, a pretty significant life event happen uh what went down um i got married last weekend so that was uh luckily it was good weather for that congratulations yeah thanks (laughs) it was raining the 10 days prior so and we did it up at nearly 3,000 meters so i was a little bit worried it was snowing up there the week before and yeah it clouds parted and it was uh, very good weather for the, the day so I'm happy that's awesome is uh, is your wife or is she a, a skier as well if you did it up at that altitude I'm imagining you you didn't have to drag her there yeah she's from Cortina that's why I spend a lot of time here but uh, yeah she's a ski racer um, so yeah we met instructing and she's yeah an avid skier as well where did you guys meet instructing uh, in Australia, actually, yeah. So yeah, she's a uh, she went there, and yeah, we just hit it off, and now we're married. <laughs> <laughs> just like that, right good. On. <laughs> and you're just coming off of uh, a southern winter down at uh, Rookie Academies, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Down there in Treble Cone. Yep. How many so seasons? Would... How many seasons have you done rookies? Uh, I've done two over there I was in Swedbo before that but um, made the the jump over the, the ditch to New Zealand and haven't looked back it's been it's been really good cool what have you enjoyed about that change well the the programs are all about teaching obviously people who are very interested in skiing and that's something that interests me is like I like definitely getting deep into um, you know the techniques and and helping people you know understand it as well so that's more fun generally when you teach just a like I do both in Japan I teach normal lessons where I don't need to be as technical um, so it's good to split it up for one part of the year doing stuff that you have to get really in depth with that keeps it interesting and then the other part I'm doing a little bit you know it's a bit of a different vibe so it's you know it's fun both ways but yeah it's good to have both at what point in your ski instruction career did you figure that out, that you liked the balance to have both? Was there an exposure to a camp, or was there just a time that you thought, boy, I'm teaching the same lesson over and over again? I don't know if there was an exact moment, but I started realizing probably when I had, I do have some clients that are very into technique, so 
even in Japan, I'd do some very in-depth lessons, and um, I, yeah, I thought that was a good change. And so, with this type of thing and the training, instructor training and stuff, I started doing that many years ago as well, and that's that's definitely more in depth. So, you know, I was trying to bounce both out because I don't think I could just do one all the time and just do. So having both is definitely good. Is a good change for my brain just to be able to diversify and not always do the same thing. So hopefully that answers the question. Oh, totally. So I want to ask you a question about um, you did the podcast with Tom there, the Global Skiing Podcast. I, I believe you were his first guest, and that was such an awesome listen. I listened to that, you know, a couple years ago when I was searching around for podcasts, trying to figure out how I could get more information. Just more uptake and um and in there you mentioned a lot of great things that i kind of applied to my own skiing and my own training process um, but i'm curious what you said about your boot setup so at the time i believe you said um you know you were in i think a 120 flex that was i, I don't i don't know that you said it was blasted out but you made it sound like you were on it for a bunch of seasons so you know it wasn't maybe uh the stiffest of boots and I think recent, more recently, I've I've read comments of you making that you're that you're in a, a one fifty flex or in a in a World Cup boot, so a, a stiffer boot, right? Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious from from then to now, what went into your process of figuring out that you liked a little more support or you wanted to ski? Do you always ski in the same boot or do you ski in different flex boots depending on what you're trying to do performance wise? Um, well, so actually, back when I was 18 that's or 17, that's when I had my first 150 boot. So I did ski in that for a long time until um, when I was doing a lot, a lot of um, days on, on snow in Australia, and Australia especially, the, the weather conditions there are pretty variable. So the temperature rises and, and falls, and anyway, I was having a lot of trouble with my feet. So I went into a softer boot. And I found it very beneficial in some other aspects. It's like they both have their totally, you know, positives in their own ways. Like you're not going to have the lateral support in the softer boot like that, but in the moguls and the off-piste, you're going to have, you know, a little bit more forgiving um, time out there, and you're going to be able to absorb a little bit easier and a few other things. So, um, yeah, the the reason I went into that softer boot was initially for having feet prop, like just foot issues like sure. getting six, six toe and then the heel and then oh, just a you know a bunch of different things so it was your face looks like you're remembering that misery <laughs> <laughs> oh it was terrible um but no in in saying that it was very good experience to go into that boot because i'd only actually skied in a pretty stiff boot until then and so now so, today you're you're back into a stiffer boot. Is that because you feel like you found ways to move your body that you just need that added support? Well, since like when I was at Threadbow, it was mostly from Threadbow I got bad. Like my feet were mm-hmm. getting pretty bad, and so I was doing a bunch of like very varied lessons and the weather. So okay. now I don't I don't do those those types of lessons anymore. Um, my feet have actually stayed good, so I've jumped back into the other boot again, and now I'm now I'm doing just one boot to bring everywhere, and it's easier that way. Right. Yeah. So just to back it up super quick, where like 
annual 12 month year brings you a lot of different places. Where, like, where are you working this next year over the next 12 months? What's, what, what's ahead for you or where are you coming from? Where are you going to? Um, so I'm here in Europe at the moment. I have a little bit of stuff planned here until like the end of November. Then I'll go to China for 10 days ish. And then, um, so I, I started a ski school in Japan with a, with, um, I had two other business partners. And then, so I start that in on the first week of December and I'll go through till, you know, April ish. And then I'll be back in Europe. Uh, we ski on the glaciers here until the end of May. And then New Zealand from July, generally July, August, and a little bit of September maybe, but. September is usually the off month. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. And that ski school in Japan, that's the is the Hokkaido Collective? Is that what that is? Yeah, that's the Hokkaido Collective, yeah. Cool. Cool. How long is uh, how long ago did you start that? Yeah, so uh, a few two seasons ish. Um, and yeah, we're just we're just trying to get established really, but um, the whole idea behind Hokkaido Collective is um, to have the most the highest certified instructors in Japan really working with us so you know we've got three um, New Zealand demo team guys coming on board with us this year and we've got about five or six trainers from around the world working with us yeah we have a lot of experience um, through yeah with our ski school and that's what that's what I wanted to, to bring over there because they're there isn't really something like that over there at the moment. Um, where I came from in Aspen, you know, on Aspen Mountain, there was such a big, you know, depth of knowledge with all of the different past demo team members, all of the trainers over there, the huge international, um, you know, crowd of instructors that are all very highly certified. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there, there's some, there are some, you know, handful of good instructors in, in Maseko where, I've, where I'm based out of, but there's not a ski school that is just based around high-end instruction, like what I'm trying to create. So, yeah, that's basically what we're trying to do. Are there quite a few just in Japan, is, is there kind of a history of having individual kind of private uh, snow sports schools on each, on each mountain, or is that a different thing there in Japan? Uh, it's it's more unique for Niseko actually than uh -huh. Niseko region, but um, yeah. So Niseko region is like Europe. Europe has uh, you know many different ski schools per resort generally. It's yep. more of an independent thing. You can be uh, you know a sole trader as a ski instructor over here in Europe, or you can work for a ski school, or you can start your own ski school with a bunch of friends. It's more like um, being a you know like a plumber or a builder or an electrician where you can right. you don't need to work for a huge building company to build houses. You can start your own company and build people houses yourself. So it's more like that um, in Europe, and I guess a little bit like that in in the Seiko. So yeah, we were able to do that, which was which was kind of cool. Is there a governing body or a certification body for Japan that you need to? Uh, qualify with in order to start that school or what's what's kind of the legwork for that process? Um, well, so you, you definitely need a, a Japanese in, like partner. So I, like I met this Japanese guy over there and we, we were working on a booking together 
and we got along really well, and and we started chatting, and and basically that's how it started. But you need, yeah, you need a Japanese person, um, and you need to be fully certified to start the ski school there as well. So, and then um, fully certified yeah. within Japan system. No, 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 just ISIA kind of recognized the system. Yeah. So it's not. It's not necessarily Japan. Japan has like two different certification bodies that are, you know, very separate. One's an instruction and one's kind of like a demonstration type thing, but they both have instruction with them and they kind of, from what I understand, and this may be not correct, but from what I understand is that they kind of butt heads a little bit and, and yeah, there's not much coercion between the two. So, gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. The ISIA. Um, recognized one is the SIA and the and other one is SAJ yeah SAJ that's the one where they do the technical comps and all that stuff but that's they do have instruction certification of that as well so I, I don't really I'm, I don't really understand too much about it <laughs> not yet at least right gotcha yeah <laughs> gotcha I think SAJ also is the uh, governing body for this ski racing and stuff for them I'm not positive on that so maybe that's where the split is from one of the, so I think it was Yamakeska, he was explaining to me that that they were, you know, fighting that one guy, back in the day, one guy started SIA and one guy started SAJ, and the SAJ is much bigger, there's more members for it, and um, and you have to do that to, you have to do the, the grading certification to actually compete in the competition anyway, so all the competitors that compete in a technical comp have to be SAJ certified. And apparently the SIA don't like the S um, don't like their instructors to be SAJ certified, so they won't allow it. So a lot of people end up just doing SAJ and do the competition. Right. So. Gotcha. And so while we're, I guess we got there. So you've been doing a lot of those competitions the last few years. It sounds like. Um, two times. <laughs> two times. Okay. So well, it seems like quite. I mean, it's quite an investment of time just to prep for those comps it, it appears is that correct yeah well all the good guys do a lot of prep for it they're you know they're part of like a ski team like there's a it's kind of like racing in like college races and all those different things in you know in the rest of the world over there they have technical ski teams based out of the universities and high schools and all that stuff so it's a really big thing to mm -hmm. do um, over there so they end up training a lot for it you'll see them out there you know their whole team like the vocal team or like the Sapporo University team or different teams it's just out there with a with a coach and they're doing moguls for you know a week and then they do long turns for a week and then short turns and yes they're pretty dedicated to it sounds like it how much um you're working those comps are you kind of doing that off the couch or are you putting a lot of I don't know how what kind of energy are you putting into your prep for that uh, not much. I wish I could put more, but last year I, did, I might have done one night session training for it, and I'd been like, because I pretty much worked from the first of December all the way through until the comp. So I had the the tryout for the the comp. I did that, and that was a day off, and then I did the comp, and I was just cruising around blue runs for the whole time. To do a comp like that, like everyone's skiing at such a high level, you really need to be skiing at that speed and getting used to um, going down the moguls that fast and getting a timing into it. It's not like, it's, you know, you wouldn't hop out of a, hop 
doing, you know, parallel groomed runs straight into a, you know, a full-on bump course or a World Cup slalom or anything. You need to train for it, and I just didn't put the time in to do it. So hopefully this year. Gotcha. So your plan is to to compete again this this season? Yeah, I mean it's it's always good motivation because of the how good everybody is there. But it's a uh, you know, just being there at the top of the course and watching everybody and being part of it is, is a cool experience. Um, I don't know how much more I'll get to train this year, but hopefully more. <laughs> what was your introduction to that competition? At what point did that get onto your radar? Um, I, I've actually been watching the competition for many, many years um, through the Ski Journal. Do you guys know Ski Journal? Mm-hmm. So Ski Journal, I had a few of their um, their videos of, of different years so right. the whole comp was filmed and it had their points and I didn't really understand what it was but I was like wow these guys are awesome <laughs> they're ripping and, <laughs> yeah so basically you know we watched it every year and thought oh that, that's a it's like a big you know really high end exam like just ski exam for, for you know demonstrators and that's what initially you know, it caught my interest, and then Paul, um, you know, he's, you know, my best friend from, from, since I started in the ski industry, he actually did it the season before and found out how we could enter, because it's pretty difficult in Japan to find out many different things about, you know, opening bank accounts and doing, you know, they have a different way of doing everything, so you have to figure it out, and it took him a few years to figure it out, but he did, and he's like, come over here and do it. So that's basically what happened. I was like, yeah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So for people that maybe haven't uh, seen these competitions yet or seen videos on it, um, could you kind of briefly lay out maybe the formatting? You mentioned, you know, talking about the different ski teams training, the short turns, the long turns, the moguls. So there's a variety of categories of competitions within this competition. And then could you maybe mention the criteria that is scored and maybe a little bit about how that scoring takes place? Yeah. So there's, I think, five or six different runs that you mark them. So there's short turn run, there's a long turn run. So short turn has to be done on slalom skis or a short-turn radius ski, and the long-turn has to be done on a GS ski. So most people are doing it on a World Cup slalom, like a fist slalom, and then the GS uh, on something like a probably a 23-meter radius all the way up to a 30-meter radius people are doing it on. So there's no like minimum radius, but it has to be a GS ski. So as long as the top sheet is GS, <laughs> I think you can do it. Um, and at the speed that you're going at, you really want, wouldn't want to do it on anything less than a, a GS ski as well, because you, you have to go pretty fast. Um, then there's a, a short-term rhythm change on slalom ski, so it's kind of like a slalom course where you go down, you're doing like one type of rhythm, then you have to change into like a different rhythm, and then you can do like a cross four line short turns, and then back into longer short turns, into really short short turns. As far as what I saw people doing, that's what I understand. Okay. Um, and the long turns, there's a long turn rhythm change as well. So you're on the GS skis and you do long turns into like a, a short turn type thing and then back into long turns again. And then there's the moguls. Did I mention that? Yep. yep. And a mogul run. So that's 
How many is that? Five. Yeah, five. I guess there's five um, disciplines. And then there were, it's over a three-day period. So, you know, you do three runs one day, three runs another day, and then the final, in the finals, you'll do, you know, a, you know, definitely moguls and then probably the short-term variation and a long-term variation, something like that because they're a little bit more tricky than just doing short turns down the hill. So, and actually the, the, you know, the criteria for marking, I'm not entirely sure. We get so many different, um, you know, things from people. Is the, the judges, there's five judges, and the highest score and the lowest score get knocked off, and then they add the three, um, you know, middle scores True. together, and that's what your mark is. But the judges are usually ex-competitors, and um, from what Takao Mariyama told us, he said like when he started his first five years, they had a criteria for like something. I can't remember what it was, and they were marked on that. Mm-hmm. And then, then, and then it changed. The next five years, they were marked on, uh, you know, a new type of technique. And then the last five years, he said. That you know, because people were looking too similar. They didn't want that anymore. They wanted more self-expression in the technique. So the last five years, he said that they've just been marking on whatever they think is good. <laughs> <laughs> so he said that he's always guessing every year to find out, you know, what would be what the judges are looking for. So he said at the moment it's, it's um, yeah, and that's kind of how I feel. Every time I go into the competition, I, I look around and I try and do a, like, copy as much as I can. Yeah. which I probably shouldn't because it's always like sporadic just like imitate and then go down and it's not part of my skiing but uh, yeah as the, the consistent things that I, that I see is speed and that's one thing they want they want to see visual speed mm-hmm. uh, I think you know Takao said you know from the bottom the judges are so far away they can't see the technique so much so they see the visual speed as you're coming down does it look fast and that goes with everything the moguls have to look fast the 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 long turns have to look fast the short turns have to look fast and that's kind of what the result of the technique has been in you know the arm position is definitely a very um you you see a lot of people try and do a certain arm position over there um but you know you'll see variations in that as well and some people don't do that as also yeah so i think i read some somebody made a comment and it wasn't on your youtube channel or any but somebody in referencing this japanese ski technique for these competitions it was something about to the effect for arm position make sure it looks like you're waving to mom and you're good or something like that yeah. and I was like, <laughs> it's like well i mean i guess i could see the aesthetic sometimes of that arm up there like sure hi mom but <laughs> yeah. from from what i saw with that tech that was the old technique it was called like the um when you into ski in 2011 they came i think from what i remember it was the hybrid technique where um the inside it was based on a cup this this physicist in or biomechanist in Tokyo had a you know a cup and one side of the cup smaller and one side of the cup's larger and when you roll it on an incline it'll automatically just create an arc yeah so this guy he didn't know anything about skiing this guy automatically said well the inside of the body needs to be short and the outside needs to be long so the they get the inside really short shorten the inside leg shorten the 
and incline a lot, uh-huh. and so the outside of the whole body is totally long, and this is the most stable position. That's what this guy said, and um, it was. I think it was also due to the fact that a lot of ski injuries, and they said that having a long, strong position, just pretty much straight, would create um, less, you know, injuries overall. But it, 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 I don't think it quite works on exactly, you know, bulletproof ice. But over there, it's fine on the on the soft snow. You get, you know, you can do a lot of different positions, and the ski will still kind of sink in, and you're just balancing on the base of the ski really with that soft snow. So it's not so essential to be you know have the center of mass exactly over the you know the side of the edge slicing into hard snow right so basically it's a moving bullseye for these competitions it's essentially really tough to train how does beyond speed what is it that you're keeping in mind if you're thinking about training for something like this um one one thing that i that I see some of the top guys do is they definitely in the short terms and the moguls their feet are just glued together so um, I'm trying I'm trying to do that because that's something that you know all of the top guys are doing and they're getting marked highly on mm-hmm. um, and then also the other thing is they have a very loopy turn shape they call it a deep turn they mm-hmm. all want to have it no. and this is what I, I don't quite exactly understand because I've heard a few people explain it slightly differently and that's probably from their English explanation or their understanding of English and how to explain it in in this you know ski technique and um, from my understanding of those three explanations that have been varied is that it's about uh, you know longer turn down the hill and that's a deep turn so getting the legs right out there long down the hill and then letting it cross under really quickly they seem to like that um, acceleration of the skis to go from one side straight to the other, mm-hmm. and that's a that's visual speed that you that you're seeing. So right. if you're taking it longer down the hill, you're going faster. So essentially, the ski can hook underneath you faster, and I guess that's the idea of the deep turn. In my mind, what I'm thinking. <laughs> so kind of like stretching it out through the fall line a little bit, and then really letting it load quickly to kind of pull pull across and under. Yeah, yeah. I, I, however they do it, yeah, either with them letting the ski do that. And I think, like for me personally, I like the external forces to, to let the ski do that. Some of those guys, you'll see them actually pull it. Um, but the, the, I think those people aren't getting the high marks. I think the people who are letting the, the ski and the snow contact and the physics of it, right. let, let them, those people are the ones that are doing better in the comp, I think. Was Takao the winner of the national competition last year? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. So he did. He spend yeah, time he, with you down in rookies this year. Was he able to be there? Yeah. So last, yeah, the last two seasons I've actually got to know him pretty, pretty good. And um, yeah, I've skied with him a lot. And that's how we got, we got in contact with him originally to film. We've got like we did a lot of filming with him in Japan this year for some films that hopefully will come out this coming winter and yeah he's, he's just a really super nice guy and just phenomenal skier it's just insane how good he is yeah sitting in the in the condo living room listening to dean talk about takao skiing i that's something i want to see more of for sure <laughs> yeah he's very, he's very deceiving of how effortless it makes it look 
when in reality it's very tricky to what he's doing, you know. It's just, and I think that's a really um, good, you know, quality of a really high-end skier is making it look so easy. You know, if it looks really effortless and easy and, um, you know, fluid, that's what I like to see in skiing. But he's so bloody good at it that you just you kind of get mesmerized and like, that's easy. And then you go down and you're like, that's not easy at all. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> yep, waving around. How much just going out and, and skiing and working on stuff with him, does his does that skiing differ from the competition day skiing? Um, is it pretty similar or does it or are there quite a lot of differences just based on what the what the comps are looking for um he well see at the moment because there's that variation in um you know there's not that judging criteria per mm -hmm. se like they're looking for speed obviously visual speed and they're looking for that deep turn um and he other than that, like the top five guys at the moment all have pretty distinct techniques. You can spot them straight away. Mm -hmm. So um, he's working on his own particular technique that does look different from like the other guys that usually, you know, the top, the same five guys have come in the top five for the last 10 years. So it's... Uh, they get to set the tone. Yeah, yeah. They set the tone and, you know, they're, they're always there and you get to see the differences in their technique. And they do have some pretty drastic differences in their body position, arm position. So um, he's got his own style, definitely. Cool. Do those guys... Oh, go he ahead. does ski like... Yeah, he, so he does ski like that when, you know, his own style. That's how he always skis. How much does your... Like when you're out working on your own skiing just for its own sake or, or maybe guiding the, your more technical um, uh, students... How much does that skiing differ from the the skiing you're doing in the in the technical championships? Um, yeah. So, I mean, in the technical chance, that's yeah. I'd like to be able to ski that that fast with guests. It'd be good, but unfortunately, I don't get to. <laughs> it's pretty, it is really really fast. So most of the training that I have to do for that is by myself or with Paulie or you know not while I'm just you know there focusing on me. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously with the speed and those things it, it, mostly speed speed, edge angle and, and force those things change a lot and if you're not ready for it then and you haven't been like getting accustomed to that type of thing that type of where you exactly need to be in that ski what ski you're using um, the speed you need to go to move in the right amount um, you know, adapt like skiing in that ski in many different snow conditions because it snows a lot in Japan. So it can either be really soft and powdery and bumpy, or it can be, you know, you know, groomed and they can slip it and it can be really chalky. So without actually skiing the ski in all those conditions, doing at that speed the whole time, it's yeah, it's um, it's tricky. It's kind of a guessing game. Yeah. I want to shift gears just slightly and talk about that uh, that project that you and Paul started a number of years ago, the Projected Productions. Um, what what was kind of the motivating force? Was it, was it a singular motivation? Were there a couple different uh, factors that went into wanting to create a project that brought 
ski films and instructional ski films to um, you know to the internet yeah so for me um, this is just my my personal I'm not going to speak for, on Paulie's behalf sure yeah but for me um, the main like I've been watching all these ski journal videos all of these um, really cool Japanese productions and, and awesome amazing skiers and I didn't know what they were saying. I was like, wow, they've got all these exercises. They're totally different exercises than what I've done in my training. I don't know what they're for. I don't, yeah, have no idea what's going on in them, but I, it's cool. I like it. And I used a lot of those things as um, training tools when I was doing my certification and, and then even through after I'd been fully certified and doing other things like just progressing my own skiing I looked at these types of videos to get ideas and inspire me and um, it was mostly just like man I wish we had something like that in English like I wish we had you know all of these guys like in Japan it's just Japanese demonstrators doing it but I was going to interski in 2011 for the first time I went there and it was a really cool experience but yeah, listening to what the country has to present not necessarily you see a skier then you're like man that guy's absolutely ripping down the hill I want to know what he thinks and then you go to the clinic and it's about the, the country and that's cool that's what interski is about but we wanted to dive into it a bit more and figure out what exactly how they're training for it how you know they got to that level mm -hmm. and have it in English so that everyone could understand what's going on <laughs> yeah sure but at least maybe that's selfish it should maybe it could be in you know German or Italian or something some other language but seeing as I speak English it's in English <laughs> it makes sense yeah and so I was at I had the privilege to be at, at Interski in Austria but I wasn't able to be at the last one in Argentina um, it seemed like in, Aust in the Austrian Interski there was like you say ripping skiers but then a lot of the national messages were pretty different or not different but they weren't necessarily about that there was kept being these like informal gatherings of folks trying to get whole team members together to go out and like let's actually ski and see what each kind of country represents this top-end skiing. And then it seemed like my understanding from coming back from Argentina from hearing folks, like that became more of a focus there. And you're talking about making this about individual skiers um, and what they focus on. How much, I guess, how much difference do you see between like what the in, each individual skiers focus versus their, when their national system or that group of team members, depending on where they're coming from, really just focuses in on what they consider to be awesome top-end skiing. Does that make sense? It's it's interesting because like when I was watching all of them, you can I, I see differences in every single skier coming down the hill, and you can definitely see technical differences mm -hmm. with with like even between teams and and um, I'd have to say like the Austrian team is definitely the most unified probably as as a demonstration. They all look the most similar, but mm -hmm. even within them they. They still look very different if you if you break it down and watch them individually. Um, so, you know, when we went, we, yeah, we just went down to Ushuaia and we chatted to a few of the people who were very interested in doing the, that type of, um, you know, instructional project with us. And, uh, yeah, they, they were the people that we initially just went the first time to, to talk about. They were in straight away. So, um, yeah, our first people that we, we kind of picked or sought out were, were in and that was that was good <laughs> didn't need to worry about anything else nice yeah it makes it a lot simpler doesn't it 
That's cool. So That's in it. those in those projected production videos, uh, which I I'll just say I purchased all of them. They're all great. They're awesome. I enjoyed watching each one of them and uh, um, using some of those activities and drills and stuff. It's been great. What is the what is the thing in those videos that you're looking forward to being able to do that you've not yet done? Like, is there a filming technique? Is there a using drone footage for overhead shot? Like, what's looking forward? What's the thing that you haven't been able to do yet that you want to be able to do with those videos? Well, we just filmed some more. We have drone footage for the next one. Um, some ski drone footage as well, which is pretty cool. Um, the, I guess... For me, like what I want to say is is just yeah, make it um, probably segments a little bit shorter and more concise. Trying to trying to get it even even. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we have is pretty high end, um, and I take away so, like I watch them, you know, sporadically here and there, different sections and segments, and I take away so much little subtleties from each time I watch it, something a little bit different, which is really cool for me because, you know, it just gives me endless ideas of, of things I can I can work on myself and also work on with guests. Um, but to answer the question more specifically is I want to, yeah, try and create it more condensed um, and, yeah, even simplify it as, as, as much as we can, just streamline it more. And obviously with... with um, better cinematography we're always trying to make it look nicer with everything yeah you know with, with better angles different angles um different types of editing techniques like where we started off obviously from paul and i do everything like I, I make the music and paul does all the editing for it so you know it's it's a long process and a big process we spend thousands of hours making all these different things and there's still many things that we need to learn about doing diagrams and things like that. I'd like to bring more of that in there, but that takes ages to learn and yeah. a lot of time to to invest into do it, doing it as well. So hopefully that'll come. Right. With infinite time and money, sure, there's a lot of things you <laughs> could do, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you mentioned that you are um, you're creating the music for that. And I know that on Paul's... I'm sorry, not Paul. On Tom's podcast, you mentioned a really cool training technique with your music background and some of your guitar training of using the metronome and using video and using metronome and training that way. Um, are there other aspects to your training that you've incorporated your music background? Is there something like, is there for a long term, is there a, a, a rhythm or a song that you're always going on in your head or? For short terms, is it a different song? For moguls, a different? Is there never the same? Like, I'm just kind of interested with music and your skiing. How are those things intertwined? When when I did the synchro skiing with the Aspen demo team, we you know we chatted a lot about yeah, it was mostly just tempo. Mm -hmm. So like counting, um, like to do the long term, so that if you're missing the four line to stay in, in sync, then if you have a timing, then it makes it a little bit easier. But that's yeah, mostly just metronome work is kind of is basically all I use from, from like my you know music stuff is that, and then when I watch video, you know, also having a time in my head for you know the rhythm of what I'm doing, 
if it's you know if I can go faster or slower yeah just depending on, on what I you know can, can visualize the metronome being yeah so there's no soundtrack to Riley's POV movie <laughs> <laughs> no no I get I get too amped up as it is so I'm trying to calm myself down most of the time maybe I should listen to classical music I don't know there you go <laughs> hearts racing getting all nervous <laughs> <laughs> put on some Mozart or something yeah bring it back um what what like just going along those lines what do you what do you aspire to as a skier like what are you like 10 15 years from now we're talking having this similar conversation about what you've accomplished achieved figured out as a skier what where where are you trying to do uh in my ski technique or just as a yeah. Well, let's um, start with the ski technique, but I'm also interested to hear from a career standpoint as well, for sure. Yeah, so I, I've i been a huge Bruce Lee fan since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I used to watch all his movies, um, and, you know, I did, when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, I read a lot of, a lot of stuff that he'd written, and one thing that really stood out to me was, like, the high, highest form, one of his quotes is the highest form of technique is no technique and um and that's something that i you know i want to try and do in my skiing is to be able to do everything you know when i when i need to like so not limiting myself to just doing it a certain way but being able to do it in many ways and that's kind of you know obviously a never-ending process because there's so many variations to how you can do it but that's what I find interesting in skiing as well is the um, just getting the finer movements down. There's never ending. I don't think there's any limit to how good you can do the movements. So, and then timing, and then snow conditions, and then you know the the, the steepness of the terrain. All those things will change every run as well. So it's just a you know a whole bunch of problems that will always change. It's like you know an infinite amount of yeah that's what I love about it and that's what I want to keep on working and chipping away at those types of things and I just try and do it in like little bite-sized chunks in attainable things so one season I'll try and work on just doing it in whatever way it is but just really focusing on that and then try and bring it back into you know my free scheme but does that answer your question it does I guess in the looking back at the last, say, the last couple of years, is there a is there a particular, maybe set of variables where you look back on and feel like, damn, I kind of pulled that off. I did that. I was kind of Bruce Lee there for a minute, um, in terms of just being able, <laughs> like in a, in a super, you know, like that rewarding, like, wow, I totally that run or that day or that whatever just kind of came together in a way that I didn't have to think about it. Yeah. So I mean. They're the ones that I don't have on film. <laughs> well, yeah, which we'll take your word for it. <laughs> that's, that's what I feel anyway. Um, I don't know when, when you're in the moment and you don't, and you just like, and you, you know, whenever the camera comes out, there's always pressure, and then this and then that and whatever. But whenever I'm just free skiing, there's there's definitely times where I feel I was like, oh wow, I didn't even think about it, it was effortless, and you know, obviously. If I can do that all the time, that's the goal. But it's very 
few and far between where it's just like you're, you know, you're just in the zone. Yeah. So, do you I think? Don't, don't. <laughs> no, that's cool. So, do you like looking at all those variables and like all the things that make it such a puzzle and a moving target? Is the presence of the camera or the presence of the, I don't know, say the judges in the in the technical skiing comp or whatever? Are those one of the variables that you're seeking to sort of master with that? Yeah, I mean that under pressure for me is, is it's always been something like I got you know with playing music and stuff being on stage it was performance anxiety so whenever it's in in front of a big bunch of judges or crowd or whatever it is it's always that's where I see my worst for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I guess one goal for the competition is make sure that my worst game when I'm just totally frazzled is good enough so at the moment, my worst game is not there, so it goes right out the window. That's pretty solid, though, from watching the videos. So the bars, the bar may be low in your eyes, but it's still not that low. I'll shift gears just out of curiosity. In one of your bios, it mentions that you uh, spent some time at your grandmother um, was in spent some time in Vermont. Uh, Austrian grandmother opened an inn in Vermont, I think. Where where was that at? Share a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so she. Um, yeah, from Salzburg originally, but she moved to Vermont and they opened like a little ski ski lodge called the Austria House and mm-hmm. it's right near Okemo. So it's about, I think, eight miles north of Okemo, but okay. it was associated with the Okemo um, Mountain in mm-hmm. their magazine. So my mum I got a few season passes every year for, being, um, for them being able to, I don't know, publish it in their magazine or something. I'm not quite too sure exactly how it worked. But that's where I grew up most of my time skiing when I was a kid. Cool. Was that a like full winters or like a few weeks at a time on holidays? Our summer holidays from Australia, so right, it was right, like right. six weeks. Yeah, we had six weeks over there, and yeah, that was. I got to ski with all my my um, uncles and cousins. They all obviously lived there, and they're all ski races or mobile skiers. So it was. I was always the one chasing them around the hill. <laughs> Fun. When I want to ask a little bit, you mentioned that your your wife uh, has a ski racing background. Um, within that relationship, and that you were co-workers down in Australia, but have you guys trained together in the sense that have you at one time or another been that sounding board feedback coach? Has she pushed you in ways in your own training like how has that relationship worked oh uh, so she yeah she does give me a little bit of coaching advice at the competitions in in japan it's always you know that very typical coaching advice where it's like come on you gotta push harder just go faster <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah she's like you know you're just being a i won't say the word just go faster <laughs> yeah okay yeah you know that always gets me fired up a little bit like ah, damn it <laughs> all right nice it was that bad <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for the feedback um but yeah so next week actually we're going to go ski on the glacier and we're going to do a little bit of training together so, like with with yeah. video and and incorporating that or just the two of you giving yeah. feedback to one another yeah, so we yeah, I'll we'll film each other a little bit and then we'll review the footage and, and see see what's happening and where she can 
where we both can get better at and yeah so are you going to go into that training with a particular focus already or are you going to see what kind of happens as you're skiing um yeah so i have a i have a warm-up progression in mind because the next day after that actually i don't know if you remember from the video the guy um andy andreas battle of course so so him and i in two weeks we're going to be doing a our personal training camp for just improving ourselves. So we're going to do the same thing, video, and, and there's going to be four days of um, drills, basically. So, <laughs> so that's the uh, that's the idea. And then with Anna, it'll be to go out and um, yeah, just try and work on a few of the basics with her, just to warm up for the season. I always like starting with interviews, doing like some slower stuff and. You know, it's best time to make changes is the first week or two weeks of, of the season because yeah. your body's kind of, even after like six weeks or seven weeks or two months being off snow, your body's had like a bit of time to kind of a mini reset, you know what I mean? So you can, I feel that's the best time to make those changes. Your body doesn't really know what to expect. You start doing a movement and then it's like, oh, I might do that instead. Right. And that's... So you've pursued what you do pretty publicly, you know, putting out all these videos and um, the hybrid Ted Ligety turn, of course, all these things. I guess I'm kind of curious now we're far enough along that I think anybody that's casually listening is probably turned off. So like, where do you feel you get maybe frequently misunderstood and what do you have to say to those misunderstandings, if that makes sense? Like, what do you have to say to the haters? <laughs> that's good if that's fair to ask. Uh, there's always going to be haters no matter what you do. Like I, I follow so many different things on online. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I, I, you know, have a lot of different hobbies outside of skiing, and when I, you know, go to look for inspiration in those other hobbies, and I see, you know, either online forums or videos or whatever. I mean, even like something that I'm looking at, I'm like, man, that is awesome. There's going to be so many haters on that thing, just saying that sucks or this or that. Mm-hmm. So the anonymous trolls. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, if, if people don't like it, they don't really need to watch it. But also, yeah, if it's... I can, I've can i taken some criticism. Oh, maybe I could do that more, or maybe, you know, I could, you know, put this up or that up. But, I mean, there's stuff that's just on there that's just, like, has nothing to do with anything. It's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> why, why do, do they bother? Whoever, whoever you are, web troll, you had a bad day. I'm sorry, but it's not my problem, so whatever. Yeah. Well, the... One of the, you know, I got a lot of slack for naming it Ted Ligeti Hybrid Turn. Um, that was actually a total joke to begin with. That's what I it was, thought, yeah. <laughs> the hybrid was around like a Toyota Prius type, you know, hybrid car. And, you know, Ted Ligeti being a Ferrari and me being, you know... Right, like a detuned car. Ligeti. <laughs> exactly. And that's where it originally came from, that name. But people thought, oh, he's trying to do something and this and that. And I was like, no, it was a total joke when I first first uploaded it. But Those things tend yeah. to gain a momentum of their own, right? Yeah. <laughs> I am curious about some of these YouTube comments. Um, it seems more often than not like you have a lot of bump and mogul skiing videos out there. And it seems like people, despite all of your technique, 
seem to think that, oh, I'm going to go ahead and tell him that his tips are in the air a lot and that couldn't be what he means to do, so I'm going to tell him how to change it. Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what is it that maybe that you're out there in bump skiing and you've added a little bit of versatility saying there's maybe, you know, four or five different ways to ski bumps, but what is it about your bump skiing, if you're just out for a bump line enjoying it, that maybe creates that? tip in the air aesthetic that is indeed intentional yeah i think well obviously when when you ski like a world cup mobile course that's um very rhythmical and symmetrical and they're a certain shape and and you always know what's coming so i find if I, when i get into a course like that i can keep my tips down every time once you get in the rhythm you just repeat the same mechanic over and over um, as soon as, and I find the next type of mobile skiing much more interesting, the, the part where they change shape and they change size and the rhythm changes and, you know, all these different variables come back into it and it's a puzzle again. Um, that's where, you know, you have to adapt and anything can happen. Sometimes mm -hmm. you might go on like four or five bumps where the tips are in the air because you've, you know, you've hit a big bump and you're and a little you're bit recovering. back. And you're covering, it takes five bumps, you're trying to. You know, not just like get totally out of whack, but you're right. going, all right, I'm going to get back over the top again, but it's probably going to take four or five bumps and I'm going to stay in control. Because you're hauling ass, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, yeah, the whole idea is to stay, not crash, but so I'm thinking stay in control and just gradually get back over the front of the ski and gradually get back in. Sometimes it will happen straight away and sometimes it takes a few bumps, but um, I think people don't, you know, I think the most of the people that are commenting on those types of those types of um, comments of you know either competition mogul skiers and people that are very into that type of skiing and they see it as, as different obviously because mm -hmm. we're not skiing of course we're skiing random varied lines rounder straighter a little bit of air here and there like getting air in the moguls because it's something that I intentionally do like a dolphin turn here and there in the moguls as well when I'm free skiing and I mean if you did that in a competition bum run you'd be disqualified probably I don't know <laughs> not disqualified but I mean you'd be like, scored down for it yeah yeah because you got off the you know intent you're off the snow a fair bit so, does that answer the question absolutely yeah I, I just I feel like there's it's it's totally justified what's going on in the video and I think a lot of times people aren't really fair about thinking maybe what what that skier's intention is, right? What their desired outcome is. And they're putting their own framework of something onto a video that they have no idea what, what was intentional in that skiing. So I just think yeah. it's not entirely fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like I said before, like my goal is to be able to do everything. So, you know, um, if... If I get into a World Cup mode course and my tips are up, then I've got to get them down. I've got to learn how to do that too. So that's just another thing. Sure. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't done one of those courses in probably like I don't know two or three years. But I, I have like in Threadbow we had a course set up all the time, so, and I have you know video of that and the tips were down. So it wasn't, it wasn't Lisa's something that you know. <laughs> so suck it, Trebek. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't something that I was intentionally going, oh, that guy's really correct. It was just like in a lot of the videos, uh, they're free ski lines and as a result of yep. 
just the terrain, the, you know. The oh, or even there. camera placement and how different it can appear. Yeah, given the, yeah, yeah. Given the pitch and the shape of a bump. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, I guess going back a little bit to the question I asked earlier about your goals and objectives and stuff, you know, you work, you do all this work as a technical skier and development there, but you're also professionally, you're a, you're a, an instructor, a teacher, a, a trainer, a coach. Um, is one of those more the master and the other more the servant or are they kind of sharing they're in service of each other? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, yeah. I think they're, they're helping each other out <laughs> because I think for me also do, exploring all these different techniques and, and doing it myself is better for the people I teach. Mm-hmm. And then vice, vice versa, when I see things that are working more with guests, then I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should do that more as well in my free time. It gives you so, a better understanding of those variables and stuff that you can transfer into your own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we want to, you know, honor kind of that hour mark and, and really appreciate your time. Um, but before we let you go, uh, we always throw this wild card out and sometimes it can fall flat, but is there anything that you want to make sure that you mention? or are you happy with leaving everything the way it went? Any points of clarification, anything that you want to get a chance to another crack at? Yeah. I mean, I guess for those people who, who, um, haven't seen any of the stuff that I do, then look on YouTube, like subscribe, share, and I've got a Facebook page now and, um, and then same with projected productions too. They check that out on on our Facebook and our YouTube. Um, you know, we we obviously we have a lot of people messaging us all the time about um, that they find the videos, you know, the projected stuff very good and helpful and and all that. And we have more people messaging us than actually we have sales on it. So that's always a it's a it's a it's a red flag. <laughs> it's a tricky time. We we want to we want everyone to see it and share and and we want the the whole idea is to help the ski industry out as for people who are interested in that as well. And but at the same time, we need to be able to get to the next project as well. <laughs> yeah. So I guess for those people listening, if you you know if you have got the copy and and. Legally, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, please buy their own copy and Thank then talk about business. how cool it is. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. No, we had we just had a lot of messages from people, and um, yeah, the numbers don't add yeah. up. I get it. Yeah, the numbers don't add up. So <laughs> it's, just, it's great that everyone's watching it. We want that, but we, we also need to make sure that we can afford to do the next one as well, so we can keep on doing it. I guess I have one last kind of question that popped in is you're a pretty rather high achiever in this business as an athlete, as a performer, as a, as a teacher and a coach trainer. Do you have any advice to other, I don't know, aspiring high achievers in our business folks that are really trying to, to achieve excellence of one sort of another as, as skiers and, and trainers and, and teachers that you might want to share from your experiences working around the world and with a lot of really amazing people? Um, I think for me, um, it's always been about being a student first. So my interest in it has always been the driving factor, like the interest into, you know, when I see something, see someone do like a certain type of turn or a ski, like a, a different technique, and I'm like, wow, 
that's really cool. I I want to do that. So how do I do that? And then that's the that's the interest that sparks into the journey on on how to get there. So for me, I think is always stay interested in it and be a student. And um, and those two go hand in hand. But I think you know if there's the interest there and there's the willingness to learn, I think that's the the key to because then the drive's there, so you'll learn as much as you need to do to get to that next step. There's not like one specific type of um, you know technique or thing or anything because they're all just as valid, I feel. But it's more just the drive one. If you if you're really interested in it. Um, be a student and and learn as much as you can and, and ski with as many really good skiers as you can. Like it's always one thing to to you know like I've skied with a lot of the people that I idolised when I was starting off. Like when I was um, you know 18 or 17, 18, 19 when I was doing my certification and I watched all these videos. So like I saw Takao and I saw Richie Berger and I saw. Um, you know, Yamakeske and all these really top athletes at the time, they were doing those competitions and winning and and um, I've, I've got to ski with all those guys and, you know, being able to see it in person is a different thing to watching it on video and that's another step of inspiration in the end, so make sure that you get to go ski with all those people and, and ski, yeah, just with a lot of top guys cool well thank you so much we really appreciate you taking the time yeah thanks for having me on hopefully uh, I answered all the questions sufficiently <laughs> no that was awesome it's just like we said when we started or maybe before we started it's just fun to kind of share and we find it's a different way of interacting with the stuff in a more sort of a personal level gives offers some nice dimension to what folks like yourself are putting out there in, in other contexts so it's a fun fun way for us to experience it but also um, neat to see that extra dimension so thank you so much for sharing it yeah it was lovely to meet you guys as well thanks for thanks for uh, you know reaching out well thanks Riley that was a really fun conversation if you want to learn more about Ryland Glashen, you can check out projectedproductions.com or you can check out Riley's YouTube channel where he frequently posts a video of himself training and doing all of the things that he does. Uh, and if you'd like to interact with us more, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out on our Instagram, our Facebook, or by emailing us at snowprospodcast at gmail.com. We really appreciate you listening. Take it easy. Have fun out there.